Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here with Ben Hardy. You may have seen those two names together because they were on the cover of a book called Who Not How, which has taken off since October of 2020, and it had a very, very fast first couple months. This episode of a new idea, which is called The Gap and the Gain, is our second book. So we have a contract with Hay House Publishers in California, thanks to Ben and another collaborator on the project, Tucker Max. So the plan is now that we're going to create a major market book every October for 10 years, and then we'll see where we are. Ben is in sunny Florida. He's in Orlando, and I'm in Toronto. So, Ben, this is an exciting project. We tested out our collaboration capabilities over the first year. It's been a success so far. I think the publisher is very happy with the results, and I think you and Tucker are very happy with the results, and we're ecstatic with the results here at Strategic Coach. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to see the long-term effects, but we did break the record at Hay House for selling, what, 75,000 copies in a single week. Obviously, most of those were ebook, but really fun. And I love it. I love Who Not How. I loved how it turned out. I'm so excited to have more books in our hands that are just a part of this collaboration. I learned a lot through Who Not How. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for collaborating with me. It's fun. Yeah, and these two ideas actually go together, the Who Not How and the Gap and the Gain. Now, a little history on the Gap and the Gain so I coach entrepreneurs, and I've coached entrepreneurs since 1974. And entrepreneurs in strategic coach are very successful individuals, way above average. They tend to be outliers, individuals who don't follow the normal course in life. You know that, Ben, because you've studied people who conform and people who are outliers and entrepreneurs for the most part don't conform. They strike out on their own. And the ones that I deal with are very successful, you know, certainly in the top 1% of income earners in the United States, which makes you one out of the top 1,000 income earners in the world and have every reason in the world, the ones that I see to be really happy with their success. But I noticed early on, Ben, when I was coaching entrepreneurs, that half of them were really happy with their success and half of them weren't. So the gap in the gain was something that I discovered out of trying to figure out why when you're really successful, you're really talented, you got big ambitions, everybody admires you, you aren't happy with your success. And that's what the gap in the gain is about. I think it'd be really good for people to hear kind of the foundation of the concept. So if you would briefly explain, and then I'll share my interpretation as well. But I think if you would explain to people what the gap and gain actually is, I think that'd be helpful for people just to hear the foundation. Well, human beings are equipped with a brain that has time sense. And one of the senses of time that we have is the future. We also have one called the past. And I've noticed that it's how we use our time sense, which really determines whether we're actually successful, whether we're movers and shakers. We go out and we do great things, oftentimes way beyond where we came from in terms of our family, how we grew up, how we were educated. We're achievers and we break into new area. 
So it all depends on what you do with your mind. And what you set up is your image that you're comparing yourself against. And then when you achieve something, that's basically how you measure. So I'm going to give you two alternatives of how to go about this. And I should say up front that both sides, you can be really successful. You can be very successful in the gap and very successful in the gain externally, yeah. right? So it's not a function of success. It's not a function of achievement. It's not a function of how people see you from the outside, but it has everything to do with how you see yourself from the inside. So what I noticed is, and I use myself as an example, because I'm just like everybody else. I share both sides, both the gap and the gain. But what I noticed in the earlier part of my life, probably up till 30 years ago, the way I would go about achieving is that I had an image of how I could be bigger and better in the future. And in order to make progress, I would set a goal, okay? A lot of that had to do with income. It had to do with projects completed. It had to do with doors that got open because I was satisfying other people's requirements. And I would go ahead and I would achieve the goal great up until now. This is great. This is progress. And all human beings make progress when they set their mind to something. And I would set it, and then I would measure how I had done, and I always found that I was disappointed with my achievements. And then one day I was thinking about it, and I was observing other people, and I went about it a different way. And that is that I had an image of myself in the future that was bigger and better. And then I set a goal and I set myself to it and I achieved it. Then when I measured myself, I was happy. So the difference between the one, I did the same thing in both cases. I had an image in the future. I had a goal. I achieved the goal. I got there and I measured. So far, I'm doing the same thing on both sides. But on the one side, I measured myself against an ideal, and on the other side, I measured myself from where I had come from. And that made all the difference in the world between being unhappy and being happy. When you see progress in the future and you set a goal and you achieve the goal and you measure against the ideal, it seems like you haven't achieved anything. When you start here and you go into the future and you have progress in your mind and you measure, but you measure where you started, you see progress all over the place and you feel good about it. So what I'm saying is, in many cases, the difference between entrepreneurs and other achievers, because human beings are achievers, between being an unhappy achiever and being a happy achiever is how you measure your progress. The one is called going into the gap. The other one is experiencing the gain. So would you say the crux of the idea is, is that this is the difference between happiness and sadness when it comes to achievement? And achievement can come in a million different ways. Totally. So I apply the gap and the gain to my kids because let's just say my wife makes a meal. You know, my wife has worked hard to make a meal and my kids, as soon as they come to the table, they say, oh, this isn't what I wanted. I'm like, you're in the gap, right? Like you just got a meal. You just gained something and you don't appreciate that before you sat down, you didn't have a meal. You just 
made progress. <laughs> but what would you say towards that one, Dan? Like for my kids, as an example, they come up to a situation and rather than being appreciative and grateful, now they can't even enjoy the meal because they've framed it as a negative, you know? Yeah. I know that that's a slightly different application of the know. idea. I think it's totally apropos. And if they get in the habit of doing that for another 40 or 50 years, you're going to have some very, very unhappy children that you've gotten to be. The problem is that our imagination can idealize things, okay? And uh, in the 21st century, we're subject to all sorts of images coming from the outside in every possible way, mainstream television, social media. You know, you're out in public and there's advertising everywhere. And the advertising always communicates an ideal. You know, if you do this, this is how you're going to feel. You know, that this is the food that really, really makes you feel good, okay? So what's happening is that your children aren't measuring the food they actually have that they've received. They didn't have it before they came to the table. They came to the table and they had food. The problem is that they're comparing the meal they have with an ideal meal, with an ideal meal that comes from the outside and it's an image. And ideals are not achievable. This is the first thing you have to understand. And I use a, another thing that our brain does to sort of compare it. And that is when we're born, we don't see three-dimensionally. And actually three dimensions, seeing in space and understanding how to operate three-dimensional is a learned skill. Babies don't see three-dimensionally. They see flat surfaces and they see shapes. And then gradually as their eyes develop and coordinate with their brain, what happens is that they develop a sense of near and far, and this is here and this is over there. And one of the things we learn when we go outside as children, that we can look out where the sky ends and the ground begins. And we're told that that line, the difference between the ground and the sky at a distance is called the horizon. And we test that out and we run towards the horizon. And what we discover is doesn't matter how fast we run, doesn't matter how far we run, we can never get to the horizon. And there's something about that that we accept. Adults tell us, well, it's just something that's happening in your mind and you have that line so that you can actually pick distances between here and the horizon and you can actually achieve it. Let's say the horizon is a mile off and you wanna run a hundred yards, you can run a hundred yards, okay? But a hundred yards against the horizon doesn't make any difference. You still feel like you haven't made any progress. But if you turn around and measure from where you started, oh, I ran 100 yards. That feels good. Same thing with the ideal, except the ideal isn't in relationship to space. It's in relationship to time. So one of our ways of dealing with time is we create a picture of the future for ourselves. Now, this picture in order for it to be compelling and in order for it to be motivating has to be really a great picture. It has to be an ideal. It's got to be a very exciting, motivating future. Yeah. And one of the things is that we have to be motivated from where we are to do something new, to do something different. We have to be motivated to do it. So we have to make the future possibility very, very exciting. 
And we feel the emotion which prompts us to go into action, to actually go through the effort, possibly learning new things, possibly, you know, achieving all sorts of things that we haven't achieved before. And we get to a point where you've actually achieved something, you know, and then people outside say, well, that's amazing what you did. But if you look at the picture that you projected first, and you're not there. You haven't achieved that. One of the interesting kind of anecdotal tests of this, Ben, is the astronauts. There were 12 astronauts who walked on the moon. Now, you can imagine that this started off as children. I have a feeling with the men who became astronauts, the early NASA astronauts, I have a feeling they started in the 1920s, 1930s as children who fell in love with airplanes. And then they became pilots. And as it turned out, they were in wartime in the Second World War as fighter pilots. And afterwards, they became test pilots of new planes. But they always had that notion, you know, if I keep traveling this route, one day I'm going to be among the first people that go in a rocket ship and they land on the moon. And they did. 1969, Neil Armstrong was the first and the total number of astronauts was 12. And they came back and then a number of psychology students and psychologists and psychologist labs, including the government's own, stayed in touch with these people and they tested them. And the vast majority of them had what you would call nervous breakdowns as a result of doing this. There were various explanations. You know, first of all, when you've spent your whole lifetime wanting to go to the moon and then you did and you walked on the moon, is there anything you're going to do when you come back that's more exciting than what you just did? So the walking on the moon for a lot of the astronauts, it was actually a goal that you could achieve. They achieved the goal of walking on the moon, but they didn't achieve the ideal of what it was going to feel like to them afterwards. They walked on the moon. That's the ideal. So for a lot of them, it was like they hadn't done anything. It's crazy. It's crazy. Could be the Super Bowl. Could be the Academy Award. Could be climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. Well, so they got to the moon and they never hit their ideal. And so they came back and they were still measuring against something that wasn't real. Right? Yeah. I'm picturing the first week back after they've done the ticker tape parade. So you think that they were dramatically underwhelmed by the experience? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that the emotions that motivated them to go through all the work They had feelings about what it was going to feel like both before, but also afterwards, because, you know, it's like oftentimes actors and actresses who achieve Academy Awards go into a decline afterwards. Okay. And part of the reason is that we project onto the future our feelings. Yeah. And what we need to project onto the future is our measurements. Okay, our measurement is here, and the measurement is 5, and my next progress is 10. Well, that's a measurement, and when I go from 5 to 10, you know, I get to 10, I said, oh, that's what it feels like to go from 5 to 10. But when you say, when I achieve this, I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to look at myself differently. People are going to look at me different. Where I feel unhappy with myself, I'm going to be happy when I do this. And you did there, and there's not the difference. The truth is, you went from 5 to 10, but you don't appreciate going from 5 to 10. What you were looking for was personal transformation out of the experience. You had this vision of who you would be when you achieved it, 
when you started. So, which is interesting because it has a lot to do with like confidence and self-esteem, which obviously confidence is a big part of this, but it shows if you go into the gap and fall apart that you weren't confident in the first place, right? That like you you're had, hoping that you're hoping, you're hoping to earn that from the experience, right? <laughs> Rather than using former confidence by looking at the gain to propel future growth, you were so in the gap about your own identity and about your self-image that maybe once you got that thing, you'd be a somebody. Yeah, so this is the basic concept. Wow. And it's one of those ideas, and I have a diagram, and, you know, the diagram that you and I are using for guiding us in this conversation, and it'll be right at the start of the book, is exactly today what it was probably 1990, 1991. And I drew it on a whiteboard in response to an entrepreneur no matter how much he achieved, he always said, well, I didn't achieve anything. And he was never take happiness from his achievements. And not only that, but he made other people unhappy around him. And because he couldn't appreciate his own achievements, he didn't appreciate other people's achievements. And this is really one thing that happens as a result of this. It's not only that you make yourself unhappy, through the gap process, but you make other people unhappy because you can't appreciate what they're achieving any more than you can with what you're achieving. So unhappy people tend to make other people unhappy. I think that this is the ultimate mindset shift to be happy, whether it be with your own self, with other people, with what you've got in life. One of the reasons why this is the book I want to do next, Dan, is because I believe that this idea is such a simplification, which you do, on how to be happy. And I think it also propels success. I think it can propel further growth. I guess, if you don't mind, two questions I have for you. One is, why does it matter that we are happy along the way? But the second one is, how do you train yourself out of the gap? If you're someone who's been a gapper, you know, if someone's listening to this, and the reason I like this conversation is because it even pricks me <laughs> when I'm thinking about how I talk to my own self and my kids. But if you're someone who's been in the gap, how do you make that transition out? I've spent my time in the gap. You know, I'm kind of a driven person. I would say so. I'm in my late 70s, and I can see no difference between my motivation and my striving than I experienced when I was six or seven years old. You know, so there's this motor inside that keeps driving me. And I don't think that I have to psych myself up to do this. There's just something that I want to do new things, I want to do different things, I want to achieve better things, I want to achieve things that are greater. And it's been that way all my life. But it was almost like there were two of me, there was the striver, and then there was someone else who was the judger. And this is the biggest thing I've noticed about the gap. It's almost like there's two people who are caught up in the gap but with the gain, there's only one person. And if there is two persons, the second person is an encourager. It's a rewarder. This is just a thought I have for a future one of my smaller books. It's called How to Be Your Own Best Friend. And the best thing is that the difference is between me when I'm in the gap, it's I don't need enemies because this person is really hard on me. But when I'm in the game, the person is really my friend, is very, very happy for my success. 
And, you know, ultimately, we're alone with ourselves. We're not alone in the world, but there's a certain aspect that we are alone with ourselves. And partially as we're 100% responsible only for one person in life, and that's the, the one we were born in. So I think that what difference does it make to be happy? Well, if you're going to be an achiever and you have a choice between an unhappy achiever or a happy achiever, I've discovered that being a happy achiever is better, you know. And part of the reason isn't so much for yourself, but you're just happier to be around for other people, okay? And you encourage other people. And I find people in the gap very seldom encourage other people. They can drive other people, you know, they can almost compel other people to strive, but they're not happy. It's not a happy experience. And we oftentimes have a very harsh person in our life that we can look back at and we can say, well, that was a good experience because he really forced me or she really forced me to do it, but it wasn't a happy experience while we're doing it and we would not repeat it, okay? Whereas someone who is both encouraging and thoughtful, but kept us up constantly moving, we're very happy for those people and we remember them very, very fondly. I think both my mother and father were very good parents. I don't think I really picked up gap tendencies from them. You know, like I remember them as being very fair. I remember them as being, you know, very providing. I remember them as being very happy with my success with no but attached to it. I never had a sense that I was being compared to anyone else mm -hmm. and everything. So I think it wasn't picked up in childhood, but my mind just went in a particular way that I can really drive myself, you know, like I can drive this person. And I think I got into a lot of bad thinking habits, a lot of negative emotional habits over the years. I went through a long period in my late 20s and early 30s where I wasn't successful in a way that I wanted to be. And I think that I really beat myself up for it. It was actually being a coach to other entrepreneurs that woke me up to, hey, there's two types here. Both of them are achievers, but they're very, very different from each other. I hope that's an answer to your question. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. There's a lot of psychological research that backs up everything you're saying. <laughs> One of them being, there's a book that was written by a Harvard professor named Sean Acord. The book was called The Happiness Advantage. And it was all about how a lot of people think that success creates happiness, whereas the research shows the opposite, that the more happy you are in the first place, the more of an advantage you have to be successful. And, you know, and so happiness is an advantage as it relates to success. You know, and that fits a lot with what you were saying before, where once I achieve this thing, then I'll be someone. Whereas if you reverse that, and if you're already happy with who you are, then you're more likely to be successful in the long run. Mm -hmm. That's one concept. And then there was connected to that, a lot of research on confidence. So there's three kind of connected ideas here that I'm thinking. One of them is that there's a huge amount of research on confidence and about how one of the questions that psychologists ask is, does confidence lead to success or does success lead to confidence? It is a chicken and egg thing, but what they there's have- There's a certain kind of success that leads to happiness. And there's a certain kind of happiness that makes you strive for greater success. I know people who are momentarily happy or happy for periods of time, but it doesn't lead to any expansion of skill, any expansion of capability. 
it's a temporary thing that wears off and you've got to keep trying to recreate it kind of thing. Yeah. And I know people who are hugely successful for a period of time and it doesn't lead to happiness. So my sense is that it's an internal sense of measurement that you take seriously. Yep. Well, Dan, I can't tell you how grateful I am to write this next book with you. And the fact that we have one book already in the bag that's already influencing and changing people's lives is already a gain enough. But the fact that we get to continue the gains is very enjoyable. So thank you for today. You know, our agreement with Hay House that there's going to be 10 books doesn't mean there's only going to be 10 books. Amen to that. As someone who writes books, The Gap in the Gain is not the only book I'm writing right now. I'm writing a few other books simultaneously. Doing this collaboration with you is such a treat. There's nothing burdensome about it. It's just pure creativity. And what I love is that because of you, I get access to thoughts and ideas that I would have never had before because of your experience, your perspective, where you're at. And so I have no interest in stopping. To me, it just seems so fun to continue this. and to see where it will go 10 and beyond. It's just fun and it's all games. Good.